Welcome. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast, the show that cuts through the fog of war and updates you about the ongoing conflict in Ukraine. With your host, Linnea Hubbard. Don't forget to like, comment and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts. I'm Linnea Hubbard and today is Thursday, April 20th, 2023. It's been 3,340 days since Russia occupied Crimea on February 27, 2014, and 421 days since the large-scale invasion of Ukraine began. Today's podcast looks at what happened yesterday in the Russia-Ukraine war. The Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Report is compiled by our team from around the world. Today's report includes information from direct contacts in Ukraine and their proxies, Russian Ministry of Defense reports, the General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine reports, Operational Commands North, South, and East of Ukraine, Open Source Intelligence, our in-house team of analysts and geolocation experts, and pro-Ukrainian and pro-Russian mill bloggers and social media accounts with a track record of trying to be accurate. We have one mission, to report the truth, because the truth matters. some housekeeping, there's been a significant increase in activity indicating that Ukrainian forces are setting conditions for the upcoming offensive. While the combat reports by operational area have admittedly become a little repetitive due to the current theater-wide frozen front, there is a massive increase in small pockets of fighting, DRG activity, and reconnaissance in force. Because of this, we will be pausing our looks back at the last year geopolitics and economics as part of our daily coverage and address it all in a weekly summary. In our assessment, it is about to get very busy. To be honest, based on how much theater-wide information there is today, I think it's safe to say it already has. Let's start with our assessment of the current status of the war. First, We maintain that Ukrainian forces have retaken the battlefield initiative and are forcing the Russian Ministry of Defense, or MOD, to make unfavorable decisions. Second, Ukrainian forces have increased the activity required to launch a large-scale offensive that will start in the next 8 to 22 days dependent on the weather, which is being uncooperative. In our assessment, it's more likely 16 to 22 days away without a significant improvement in the weather forecast. Third, we believe a large-scale Russian missile strike between April 20th and April 22nd remains possible, but our confidence is dropping. Russia has launched almost 50 Iranian-sourced Shahed-136 kamikaze drones in the last 72 hours, which may be a substitute for cruise missiles. Fourth, the Russian Federation armed forces are combat ineffective and have exhausted their combat potential except in the Bakhmut operational area. Fifth, we maintain that the Ukrainian defense of Bakhmut has reached its final phase, and Ukrainian forces are executing a planned retrograde operation. Ukraine's ability to hold defensive lines over the last 11 days has not altered our assessment. Sixth, Russian forces are experiencing a theater-wide shortage of non-precision artillery munitions, particularly anti-tank guided missiles, called ATGMs. Seventh, We maintain that short of using chemical, biological, radiological, or nuclear, also known as seaburn, weapons, the Russian military will continue doing everything possible to capture Bakhmut, regardless of the cost. 
And finally, Russian white nationalism connected to the Russian Orthodox Church and senior policymakers within Russian President Vladimir Putin's orbit are fueling religious and racial tension, which is accelerating in the North Caucasus. I think this can probably go without saying in the future. Let's get some regional updates, starting with Kharkiv. In the Dvorichna operational area, the Russian MOD reported continued positional fighting between squad-sized units in the area of Sinkivka. In our assessment, in our assessment, the activity is happening in the forested areas north of the village. The Russian MOD reported positional fighting initiated by Ukraine between squad-sized DRG units near Orleansk. In northern Kharkiv, near the Russian border, Vovchansk was hit by two Fab 500 SE GLONASS-guided glide bombs that targeted the market area. Two people were killed and two more wounded in the attack, which destroyed 60 small businesses. Moving on to the Donbass region in Luhansk. The Svatova operational area was stable, with no reports of significant fighting. In the Kremina operational area, Russian and Ukrainian forces traded artillery strikes, with Russian and Ukrainian reports of positional fighting near Dibrova and south of Kremina in the Serebriansky woods area. Russian mercenary millblogger Rybar claimed that Ukrainian forces were building up west of Chervonopopivka in preparation for a future localized offensive. Some assessment? Operational tempo has slowed in the Kremina operational area since mid-March. We can't determine if today's very low activity was caused by poor weather. It's unlikely that Russian forces have entered an operational pause after a notable reduction of fighting over Orthodox Easter weekend. With the new governor for the Luhansk Oblast seated, the Operational Command East, or OKE, summary reports have ended. With the new governor for the Luhansk Oblast seated, the Operational Command East, or OKE, summary reports have ended which provided valuable insight into the number of Russian fire missions, airstrikes, and the intensity of fighting. In northeast Donetsk, in the Siversk operational area, Russian mercenary millblogger Wargonzo reported an attempt to advance on Smyrna, which failed. A video circulating on Russian social media channels claiming Smyrna had been captured was untrue. In Bakhmut, Heavy fighting was reported in the northern and northwestern parts of the city. The Russian MOD reported that their forces completed 67 fire missions in the Bakhmut operational area and four Army Aviation and VKS close air support sorties. The reduction in airstrikes was likely due to poor weather. The Kremlin falsely claimed that 75% of the northwestern and southwestern parts of Bakhmut were captured, but no evidence shows Russian forces have made significant incursions into the western third of the city. Northwest of Bakhmut, it was reported that PMC Wagner had retaken the lead north of Khomova after the Russian VDV forces suffered a series of setbacks. In heavy fighting, mercenaries with Wagner were able to advance approximately 100 meters on a tree line northwest of the village, but not in the direction of the T-506 highway ground line of communication, called a G-lock, that is a supply line. A new video showed that the G-lock is still open, and the bridge over the drainage to Pivnichny Reservoir remains intact. There were significantly more damaged and destroyed vehicles on the edge of the roadway, indicating that Russian forces have periodic fire control over the road. 
The video verifies our assessment that Rivar's report that G-Lock was severed was inaccurate. In the northern part of Bakhmut, pro-Ukrainian social media channels took advantage of yesterday's false claims that Russian troops had advanced to the old and current hospital south of Rose Alley. With nothing to support the claim, there were wide-scale reports that Ukrainian forces launched a counteroffensive and pushed Russian troops back to Rose Alley. In our assessment, neither report was true, and there were likely pockets of localized fighting near the southern tip of the Pivnichny Reservoir that got blown out of proportion. The destruction of the Palace of Culture on Peremohi Street has complicated Russian offensive operations by removing an area that could have been used to hide movements and troop concentrations. Fighting continues on Oboroni Street and the southern edge of Rose Alley. Ukrainian forces still control school number 24. In the center of Bakhmut, there were no significant changes. Fighting continues in the areas of Railroad Station 1, Railroad Station 2, and the grain elevators. The status of the bus terminal on the edge of Verkny Park and the hotel transit remains unknown with only generic claims made about territorial control. We made a small change to the map north of Railroad Station 1, pulling the line of conflict closer to the railroad tracks, which puts the state police station under PMC Wagner's control. We have no specific intelligence, but with repeated claims of heavy fighting at Railroad Station 2 and the grain elevators, Ukrainian forces are unlikely to be east of the tracks. In the southern part of Bakhmut, fighting was positional in nature along Korsunskoho Street. Ukrainian forces maintained control of the areas around Schools 2 and 40 and the MiG-17 area and the T-504 Highway G-Lock. Russian VDV forces launched an intense attack in the direction of Ivanivske, which ended in failure. In the Kostyantonivka operational direction, the Russian MOD reported that Russian forces attempted to advance in the Stupochki direction and pushed Ukrainian forces back from the Seversky-Donetsk-Donbass Canal. Orgonzo reported the Russian attack ended with no change in the situation. And yesterday, Ukrainian forces reported that an attack in the Predtechina direction turned into a disaster for Russian forces, losing positions after being forced to retreat. So, who's telling the truth? Supporting yesterday's report that the Russians attacked in the Predtechina direction and were repulsed and pushed back to the canal, a video showed Ukrainian forces capturing Russian troops along the forested belt, indicating that Russian positions were overrun. As a policy, we do not share POW videos unless they show maltreatment, war crimes, indicate that POWs are in grave danger, or are part of an authorized POW swap, so we don't link to this one. Some assessment? The Ukrainian defense of Bakhmut has exceeded our expectations. It's been 76 days since analysts and journalists called for the withdrawal from Bakhmut out of the belief that a technical or operational encirclement was imminent. Since the fall of 2022, we've maintained that Russia had inadequate troop strength to encircle Solidar and Bakhmut and hold Ukrainian forces in place. PMC Wagner has exhausted its penal units and cannot restore them, forcing the company to use its best forces in attritional urban warfare which favors the defender. The Russian MOD has been forced to pull in their remaining elite VDV units originally in the Kremina operational area. Valery Garasimov, responsible for Russian operations in Ukraine, has been forced to pull conventional troops, armor, artillery, and ammunition from the Avdiivka operational area, 
and use VDV units for World War I-style frontline assaults, which have not ended up producing significant gains. In our assessment, Ukrainian General Valery Zaluzhny had a risky plan, but it has paid off. Further, the General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine was willing to integrate the painful lessons learned at Severodonetsk and has likely tapped repatriated Mariupol defenders to learn the most successful tactics that they employed. Moscow will continue to take every possible action to capture Bakhmut, to the detriment of every other offensive operation in the theater of war. In southwest Donetsk, if you feel the combat report is getting repetitive, you would be correct. In the Avdiivka operational area, Russian forces with the 1st Army Corps bolstered by Mobix continued unsuccessful attempts to advance from the landing of the Krasnohorivka Plateau in the direction of Stepova and Berdichi. In Avdiivka, Russian forces attempted to attack from the east near Miralne, also without success. The People's Militia of the Donetsk People's Republic, or DNR, telegram channel released a video showing the same artillery strikes repeatedly hitting a forested belt in the Avdiivka area. We're not exactly sure what they were firing at. Fighting for control of the no-man's land between Vodyana and Sievrne continued with no change. Positional fighting continued in the eastern part of Pervomaiske, and there was another failed attempt to advance on the Ukrainian firebase at Nevelske. In the Marinka operational area, Russian forces heavily shelled the remains of the city center and made another attempt to push west of Druzhby Avenue without success. Russian forces made a new attempt to advance toward Pobida that ended in failure. In the Wuhledar operational area, Ukrainian forces have stepped up operations using DRG units and reconnaissance in force. The Russian MOD reported that Russian forces fought with Ukrainian DRG units near Volodymyrivka and the Mikhilsky Dachas. The GSAFU reported a Russian attack in the direction of Vukhledar was repulsed. However, most Ukrainian reports of fighting in the area of Vukhledar are about the Dachas or a no-man's-land area north of the destroyed monastery in Mikhilsky. A geolocated video showed positional fighting in the center part of Pavlivka. The GSAFU reported that a Russian attempt to advance on Prechistivka was unsuccessful. The DNR's new commander of OMON forces, Alexander Khodakovsky, reported that activity has increased around Vukhledar, saying, quote, Noticeable activation in many parts of the line of contact, cases of DRG sorties have become more frequent, artillery is interdicting supplies and working to suppress the enemy, he means Ukraine. Tanks are going into direct fire. In general, this is the picture. End quote. He went on to echo the same concern expressed across multiple operational areas about the looming Ukrainian offensive, adding, quote, a test or a distraction of attention or an attempt to make us exhausted before a larger movement? It's hard to say. Maybe these are just situational bursts that do not have a clear system. But nevertheless, we are waiting for the offensive from their side and are preparing. End quote. In Mariupol, insurgents documented more Russian troop movements, including T-72 tanks moving in the direction of Berdyansk, and small groups of troops moving north toward Vukhledar and east toward the Russian border. After months of broken promises, self-declared acting leader of the DNR and former Pyramid Scheme salesman Denis Pushilin 
promised that the border crossing capacity from occupied Donetsk to Russia will increase by 350%. It has been seven months since Moscow promised that border security would be removed between actual Russia and the occupied and illegally annexed territories of Ukraine. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. Our team of journalists, researchers, and analysts is funded by readers, listeners, and viewers just like you. To support independent journalism, please consider becoming a patron. You can find us on patreon.com at malcontentnews. Moving on to Zaporizhia. There have been unverified reports of Ukrainian forces attacking Russian positions in the Hulia-Pola operational area for over a week, including Marfupil, Stepanivka, Dorozhnyanka, and between Mirna and Cherivne. Deep State claimed that Russia took control of the dachas near Marfupil and recaptured Dorozhnyanka. We'd coded Dorozhnyanka under Russian control last month after a series of videos showed the settlement was under occupation. We've had Marfopil as contested since last year, so we didn't make any updates to the map. Russian sources reported that Ukrainian troops were conducting significant DRG and reconnaissance in force activity near Orikhiv without providing specific information. In response, Russian artillery activity has increased slightly, with 96 fire missions conducted along the entire line of conflict and four Army Aviation and VKS ground attack sorties. There was no update on the status of the Zaporizhia Nuclear Power Plant, or ZNPP. In the Black Sea, Crimea, Mykolaiv, and Odessa region, Operational Command South, or OKS, reported nine Black Sea Fleet vessels on patrol, including one frigate and two Kilo-class submarines capable of launching up to 16 caliber cruise missiles in total. At the entrances to the Crimean Bridge, Russian officials claim that 40 new inspection stations will be added to reduce the inspection time. FSB border security will be able to inspect 8,500 vehicles per day at medium intensity and up to 17,000 during peak loads. Similar promises have been made about checkpoints in the Luhansk People's Republic, or LNR, and DNR since October, with no improvement. After visiting the LNR on April 17th, Russian President Vladimir Putin said that delays at border crossing into Russia from occupied Ukraine, even though Putin signed a decree that occupied Ukraine is now Russia and border security would be removed, will be addressed in the near future. In western and central Ukraine, Russian and Ukrainian forces traded artillery strikes across the Dnipro River in Kherson, Free Kherson was hit by 60 fire missions that used 298 artillery rounds, mortars, grad rockets fired by MLRS, indirect tank fire, and drone-delivered IEDs. There were five fire missions on the city of Kherson, injuring six people. The waterfront, ship district, and city center, along with the public transit bus barn, were shelled, destroying several vehicles. In Zmeivka, the outpatient clinic and school were damaged by Russian shelling, Overnight, near Bereslav, at least one Fab 500 SE glide bomb struck the region. Captain Natalia Huminyuk, director of communications for OKS, said the increased shelling and airstrikes by Russian forces in Kherson and Zaporizhia 
are due to the looming counteroffensive and the belief, right or wrong, that Ukraine will attack both regions. She remarked, quote, In a way, this is justified by panicked expectations of a counteroffensive. We have already seen this when a similar activity to liberate the right bank began, end quote, adding that the ongoing attacks were also meant to terrorize the civilian population. Russian-occupied Novokokhovka was shelled, with occupation officials reporting one civilian was killed and two wounded. Russian troops were accused of looting the empty homes and apartments of recent Holopristan and Olishki Hromada evacuees and wearing civilian clothing to conceal their movements. Six Iranian-sourced Shahed-136 kamikaze drones were launched from the Azov Sea region, flew over Mariupol, and were intercepted by air defenses in Dnipropetrovsk, near Dnipro. There were no reports of casualties or significant damage from falling debris. In north and northeastern Ukraine, in Kyiv, where full electrical service has been restored, an apparent meteor streaked over the city, causing alarm both metaphorically and literally. Unsure what happened, air raid sirens were activated out of an abundance of caution. Initial reports claimed the flash was caused by NASA's RESI Solar Observing Satellite deorbiting. Later in the day, the Ukrainian Air Force stated that the incident was not related to an attack and was either a meteor or space debris and was awaiting further clarification. While there were reports by Russian propagandists of a major missile strike, and some Ukrainian officials claimed it was a satellite re-entering the atmosphere, NASA released a statement that the incident was not caused by any satellite, including RESI, which was expected to deorbit on April 19th with an orbital path far from Kyiv. In fact, the RESI satellite burned up in the atmosphere over northern Africa. On the Russian front, Rybar reported that a sugar factory in Tietkano near Bilgorod was hit by Ukrainian drones. I have nothing to add. Let's talk about developments theater-wide and outside Ukraine. Ukrainian Deputy Minister of Defense Hanna Malyar reported that on April 19th, Russian forces launched 26 Iranian-sourced Shahed-136 kamikaze drones, with 21 shot down. Our analysts accounted for 19 launches and 17 shootdowns. There was no information, including from Russian sources, on the areas targeted. The attacks did not impact the Ukrainian electrical grid, with exports to Slovakia, Poland, and Moldova uninterrupted. On April 18th, unannounced inspections by the International Atomic Energy Agency, or IAEA, occurred at the Rivne and Khmelnytsky nuclear power plants. The inspections were conducted under the guidelines of an agreement between Ukraine and the IAEA to assure compliance with the Treaty on the Non-Proliferation of Nuclear Weapons. No violations were found. Multiple Russian sources are validating our assessment that Ukraine has started setting conditions for its offensive. Among them is our favorite FSB colonel, convicted war criminal, Kremlin pariah, failed mobic, and angry patriot, Igor Strelkov-Girkin, who said, quote, Over the past two days, the enemy, he means Ukraine, has spent reconnaissance in force, that is, private tactical attacks in order to identify the forces and means of defense of the opposing side. Probably some of the attacks are of a distracting nature, but there have been attempts of this kind in areas that are most promising from the point of view of an enemy offensive. 
including near Vukhladar and in the Zaporizhia region. End quote. More battle group markings for Ukrainian offensive units have appeared. They include the already reported forward arrow with a slash, similar to the astrological symbol for Sagittarius, a forward arrow and a backward pointing arrow. Photos were shared by the Operational Armed Forces of Ukraine of their newly built armored mobile surgical suite and other mobile medical systems and ambulances staged for future deployment. The United States Department of Defense announced a new military aid package worth $325 million to Ukraine under the Presidential Drawdown Authority. That is to say, the material being transferred is in inventory and already paid for by the U.S. taxpayers. We break down the contents of the aid package in the full situation report on Patreon, but of note, it includes anti-tank weapons and ordnance, unspecified, quote, precision aerial bombs, and port and harbor security equipment. A second IRIS-T anti-aircraft system, out of four pledged by Germany, has been received by Ukraine. In Spain, pictures showed M113 armored personnel carriers and German Leopard 2A4 tanks had started transit to Ukraine. After multiple rumors that Ukraine has received the Turkish 230mm TRLG-230 Guided Multiple Launch Rocket System, or GMLRS, with a range of up to 70 kilometers, pictures show the newly formed 49th Battalion has been equipped with the platform. The newly formed 88th Brigade has been equipped with Sweden's RBS-70 Short-Range Air Defense System, which includes the PS-70 radar system. The mobile radar unit can detect targets up to 40 kilometers away up to an altitude of 10 kilometers and send telemetry and targeting data to the firing units. A video showed the Slovenian M55S tanks that were transferred to Ukraine in December 2022 are in service with the newly formed 47th Brigade. The M55S is a heavily modified T-55 tank with a Royal Ordnance L7-105mm stabilized main gun, Israeli fire control system, improved sights including thermal and night vision with a laser rangefinder, and ERA armor. The video, which we do link to in the full situation report, confirmed our fall assessment that due to its medium-duty tank classification and wide tracks, it has superior capability in muddy conditions. The 47th Brigade is also the first Ukrainian unit to confirm that Bradley Infantry fighting vehicles have been assigned to the activated unit. Ukraine and the United Kingdom confirmed that the 14 Challenger 2 tanks had been fully transferred and are operational. Some assessment. A military analyst stated that for Ukrainians, the start of the offensive would be their, quote, longest day a reference to June 6, 1944, also known as D-Day, and the Allied invasion of Normandy that started the liberation of Europe from the Nazi regime. Speaking of the Nazi regime, let's talk about the Russian military mobilization and Mir. Russian President Vladimir Putin included the self-declared acting leader of the DNR and former casino car dealer Pushilin and LNR self-declared leader Leonid Posechnik, in the Council under the President of the Russian Federation for the Development of Local Self-Government in the Occupied Territories. Okay, guys, seriously, you need to work on these names. The Black Sea Fleet minesweeper Ivan Golubets returned to service after being significantly damaged in an unmanned surface drone attack 
launched by Ukraine on October 29, 2022. In Krasnodar, a man was detained and charged with discrediting the Russian Federation Armed Forces after he found an advertisement to join the Russian military on the sidewalk and put it in a trash can. Police reported the man, quote, defiantly threw away a leaflet with state symbols, end quote. He was convicted in court and fined 40,000 rubles. That's a little less than 500 U.S. dollars. Several Russian political scientists, military experts, and military commissars were sent suspicious parcels with figurines. After the terrorist act with Vladlen Tatarsky, the gifts were checked by the police. The packages were sent by Nikita Barin from Ulyanovsk and were delivered to Vladislav Shurigin, Konstantin Isayev, Timofey Sergichev, and TASS correspondent Mikhail Tereshchenko. After checking the shipments, police determined there was nothing suspicious about the busts of General Zhukov, and the packages were simply unsolicited gifts. Despite the source being identified and the police determining nothing was nefarious, Russian state media claimed it was an attack by Ukraine. Konstantin Sivkov, who received one of the gifts, told the Russian state media agency SHOT, quote, this is an attempt to silence the journalistic community which is backed by the main intelligence directorate of Ukraine and the SBU. End quote. In an unrelated incident in Ulyanovsk, Yekaterinburg, and Rostov-on-Don, several electronic billboards were hacked and displayed quotes from text messages and stories from Mobix about the realities of the war in Ukraine. One message said Mobix are thrown to the front line with minimal training, using them as quote, meat. Other messages included data showing heavy battlefield losses. In Moscow, kiosks have been set up in malls and bus stations seeking to recruit volunteers for the special military operation. Business isn't exactly what you would call booming. Russian State Duma Deputy Alexander Borodai said that Ukraine was, quote, accumulating a large strike force, which he is going to throw into the offensive. Most likely not in the next week or two, but a little later, in the second half of May. End quote. And when pressed, Borodai would not rule out a second wave of mobilization. You could almost feel bad for Kremlin spokesperson Dmitry Peskov. Almost. Okay, yeah, no, not even. Not even almost. Ah, uh, he's an absolute troll of a human being. Peskov went into damage control mode, assuring reporters, quote, there is no talk of a second wave of mobilization in the Kremlin, end quote. And what happened after Peskov told Russian state media, trust me, bro? State Duma deputy from Crimea, Mikhail Sheremet, hinted that general mobilization was coming, saying, quote, there must be general mobilization. We must fight the whole world, as they say, and everyone must feel their involvement with the country. At the moment, mobilization is quite possible, end quote. Well, at least it's been months since Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Shoigu threatened nuclear war, insulted Israel, or said something outrageously anti-Semitic. Self-declared acting leader of the so-called DNR, Pushilin, signed a decree for the conscription of Russian-passported Ukrainians born between 1996 and 2005 for the current and future Russian military conscription period. The People's Militia of the Donetsk People's Republic, better known as the Russian First Army Corps, announced that the Popular Front of Russia had donated 20 tons of potatoes to feed the troops and was sent out for immediate distribution.
Also on their Telegram channel, the Russian First Army Corps is actively soliciting donations to purchase Mavic 3 consumer drones, satellite internet systems, camouflage netting, minibuses, and civilian SUVs, fuel, and spare parts, because, quote, there is not enough regular transport, end quote. On the night of April 17th, the Commandant's office and military personnel of Military Unit 52025 were alerted that outsiders were seen in the closed military town of Moshaisk 10. While combing the area, the soldiers found two drunken girls who did not have passes to enter the secretive town where nuclear weapons are stored. The teenagers couldn't explain exactly how they got inside the closed city, and one was underage. Both offenders were taken to the military police. Really? Really. They didn't understand how or why two drunk teenage girls entered a closed military town. Really? And that's what we know. Join me again tomorrow for more updates. Until then, stay safe, everyone. You've been listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. To help keep us independent, please consider providing financial support by becoming a patron. Want on-demand news in your hand? Download the Google News app and make Malcontent News one of your favorites to receive breaking news updates. Thank you for listening.